the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Our series, What is a Godly Marriage, will continue today as we take a turn, if you will, and take a look at a blessed and fruitful marriage and how to have one. Join us. Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner is coming up next. Last week here on Abounding Grace, we laid a marvelous foundation for what a godly marriage should look like and how it practically works out. So what about a blessed marriage? You know, they go hand in hand. And in fact, we'll turn to Psalm 128 today to take a look at how to have a blessed marriage, how to have a wife and children who absolutely adore you and what it takes. Be amazed at how simple it really is, although not easy. With more, here's Pastor Gary Wagner. This text I use, Psalm 128, for the wedding ceremonies that I've officiated over the years. But in those weddings, I get little time to say very much in a 10-minute homily. So I'm really glad to actually have the opportunity to break this down much further. But Martin Luther called this text a wedding song for Christians, which it most certainly is. And the first thing to take notice of about Psalm 128 is that it is addressed to husbands and fathers. I think the King James Version is right when it begins with the first sentence, Blessed is the man instead of everyone who fears the Lord. Because then it goes on to say, when you shall eat the fruit of your hands, your wife shall be like a fruitful vine. Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. So it is important to take note that the psalm is addressed to fathers and husbands. And the point of it is a wonderful one, which is that the life-giving, life-sustaining, life-enriching blessing of God pervades the entirety of the man's life who fears the Lord. As a godly husband and godly father, God richly blesses everything that is important to him, every activity, every relationship. This psalm particularly refers to how God blesses a man's vocation, how he blesses his relationship with his wife, with his children, with his church, his nation and blesses him concerning the future. And when God blesses a man in every area of his life, he finds fulfillment and satisfaction in all these things and in all those relationships. And he is able to bring fulfillment to other people as well. And most importantly, because the blessing of God rests upon the entirety of his life, he is able to bring glory to God in everything that he does and in all these various relationships. In fact, this gracious blessing of God that rests upon the totality of a godly man's life teaches us that the only truly happy man is a God-fearing man. 
Notice, first of all, it says that God's blessing rests upon his vocation. In verse 2 we read, When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be blessed, and it will be well with you. And this is actually an echo of Psalm 1 that says, How blessed is that man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the God, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. What happens in a man's vocation when he's blessed of the Lord? Well, he has this sense of calling. He has a real sense of destiny. He is content with what he is doing because he knows that he was created to do it. He was called by God to do it. He was prepared from all eternity to do the very thing that he is doing with the strength and the ability and the talents that God has given him. So even though he may work hard, even past the point of exhaustion, he comes home, not in bitterness and frustration, simply because he thinks he's just going to work to make money to pay the bills. Oh, he may come home worn out but nevertheless happy because he knows he is doing what God has called him to do. The psalm also says that God blesses a family of a man who fears the Lord. Notice in verse 3, Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine, and your children shall be like olive plants. God blesses the God-fearing man's marriage and family with joy and vitality. His wife brings him delight. He fully appreciates her. She strengthens him and helps him with her love, her strength and support, and her encouragement, her respect, her submission as his counterpart, companion, and friend. His children are full of life and refreshing beauty, and they lovingly honor him and their relationship with him. These figures of vines, as one author said in the 1800s, beautifully describe the exquisite delights flowing to a good man through his wife and children, unquote. The Lord loves to bless godly marriages and godly families, my friends, because having created and instituted them, he takes great delight in them. Marriage was ordained by God and blessed by God to complete the holiness and happiness of his people on earth. But it goes on in verses 5 and 6 and tells us that God blesses the church and nation of the man who fears the Lord. It says, the Lord bless you from Zion. And then it says, and may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Peace be upon Israel. In the Bible, Zion was the hill where the temple stood. And it became symbolic of the temple of God, which is the church of Christ. Jerusalem, the capital of the theocracy, was symbolic of God's covenant community of his people. Israel is the name of the church both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And the point is, when this psalm speaks about God's blessing, this man in Zion, seeing the prosperity of Jerusalem and praying for peace to be upon Israel, he is saying, in effect, 
God blesses a man's church and a man's nation and a man's covenant community with prosperity and security and peace through his God-fearing faithfulness to the Lord. When a man fears God, he will be a pillar of strength, a man of influence and courage, a leader in both his church and his nation. In fact, the condition and the future of the covenant people of God is all wrapped up with the presence and the activity and the faithfulness of God-fearing men. And the psalm concludes by saying, the blessing of God rests upon the future of this man. Psalm, or verse 6. Indeed, you may see your children's children. God blesses the future generations, the children and the grandchildren, the future descendants of the man who fears the Lord. In Genesis 22, God said to Abraham, who was, of course, a father and a husband, I will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants will possess their enemies and in your descendants all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Abraham, because you have obeyed my voice. Because you, as a husband and father and family head, have been a God-fearing man that walks in faith according to my commandments, I am going to bless you in spectacular ways. I'm going to cause your descendants to be more numerous than the stars in the sky and the sand on the beach. I'm going to give them victory over everyone that opposes them. And I'm going to cause all the peoples of the world to be blessed with salvation through them because you have obeyed my voice. So you see how God uses the faithfulness of a God-fearing man down through his generations. The God-fearing husband and father is therefore future-oriented in everything that he does and in everything he plans. He thinks about how his life will affect his wife and his children and even his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren. He knows that God will bless his descendants through his own faithfulness. And he expects and prays for and works for the advance of God's triumphant kingdom down through his family. He is confident that Christ must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. And he knows that everything he does, however small it may be for Christ's glory, in obedience to Christ's word, will get his family one step closer by making contributions to the fact that someday his people will be used in the conquest of the nations of the world with the gospel of Christ. In other words, he understands 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight that says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil, your hard work, your exhausting work for Christ is never in vain in the Lord. However small and inconspicuous it may be, it counts for something and gets your family one step closer to that day when the world shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. But let's stop for a minute and ask an important question. 
I've been talking about God's blessing on the entirety of the life of a God-fearing man. So let's stop and make sure that we understand what a God-fearing man is or looks like. What is meant by this phrase, the fear of the Lord? That's a practical question. Because it is only the man who fears the Lord upon whose life the rich blessings of God shall be poured out. So if you are not a man who fears the Lord, don't expect any blessing from this psalm to come true in your life. But if you are a God-fearing man, you can indeed expect these blessings to come true in your life. So we need to know what a God-fearing man is. Well, he's someone who fears the Jehovah of Scripture. Not just any God, but the Lord God Almighty, creator of the world, the covenant God of his people, the one who gave the Ten Commandments, the one who sent his Son into the world to be the Savior of sinners. This Jehovah is who we are to fear. And fearing the Lord is not the same thing as being afraid of the Lord. Unless, of course... You're in rebellion against him, and then you better be afraid of the Lord if you have any sense whatsoever. But fearing the Lord and being afraid of the Lord are two different things. Fearing the Lord is adoring and worshipful submission to the Lord God Almighty and to his word. Let me give you three definitions of the phrase, the fear of the Lord, by some really great Bible scholars. The first is theologian and preacher J.R. Packer from his book, Knowing God. He said, We fear the Lord when we become humble and teachable, standing in awe of God's holiness and sovereignty, acknowledging our own littleness, distrusting our own thoughts, and willing to have our minds turned upside down by the word of God, unquote. Charles Bridges, who wrote a great commentary on Proverbs, said, The fear of the Lord is that affectionate reverence by which the child of God bends himself humbly and carefully to his father's law. God's wrath is so bitter and God's love is so sweet that hence springs an earnest desire to please him, unquote. And then in the rest of my message today, I'm going to be quoting and referring several times to a man named Wayne Mack, who wrote a very good book called Your Family, God's Way. And here is how he defines the fear of the Lord. He says, The fear of the Lord is an all-encompassing sense of the presence of God of the unrivaled majesty of God, the abundant mercy and grace of God, of the faithfulness of God, of our dependence on and responsibility to God, of our relationship with God, and the priority that relationship and of the supreme perfection of God, unquote. In other words, the man who fears God is a man who is overwhelmed with the splendor and the greatness and the glory and the power and the holiness and the justice and the sovereignty and the grace of our triune God. He fears the Lord every time he thinks of this God. He stands in awe before him. The more he learns of God in his word, the more his heart is filled with praise and the more he's moved to worship that great God. But even more than that, 
He fears the Lord in that he stands in awe of the mercy and grace that God has bestowed upon him in the Lord Jesus Christ. That this great, infinite God should even be concerned with me. That he should send his son and give him up before he would give up me is something that seals the godly man's heart with awe and with fear and with adoration and with praise. And this fear that fills his heart because he knows who God is and he knows that God loves him makes a difference in his life. The first verse reads, How blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. That's because he loves this great God and he stands in adoration before him because of who that God is and what that God has done for him. And he desires that the entirety of his life be pleasing to him. So he seeks to walk in the ways of this great God and to bring him honor and glory with every aspect of his life. That's what the man who fears the Lord looks like. He is someone who's filled with awe because God is as great as He is. He is someone who is filled with praise because God simply looked His way and sent Jesus, His Savior, to be His Savior. And that fear that fills His heart is a fear that affects every aspect of His life. And He wants to bring all into conformity to the Word of God. He's grateful for whatever God has given him. He's content with whatever God has given him. So in everything he is and in everything he does in life, he puts God and his responsibilities and accountability to God as his top priority. It is that man, the God-fearing man, that God blesses the entirety of his life. Well, this passage, though it is addressed to the husband and father, has some beautiful references to wives and mothers. So the blessing, of course, is not just limited to him. God's blessing rests upon the man's family. It rests upon his wife and the mother of his children. Wayne Mack wrote this, and I hope that this will be an encouragement to you ladies. He says, when God blesses a wife and a mother... She finds fulfillment and security in her deeper understanding of God's purpose for her as a person, wife, and mother. She is increasingly viewing herself from God's perspective, trying to structure her life according to God's direction. She realizes she no longer has to be a superwoman, trying to attain some illusory goal. Now she has a clearer picture of what God wants her to be and do and how that can now be accomplished. And in that, she is finding fulfillment. And a woman needs not only this pervasive blessing on her life, but the knowledge that she is being blessed because of the husband and the wife that she has to live with. Her husband is a sinner. Her children are sinners, and so she needs in order not only to cope, but to contribute to the family's welfare and future, the pervasive blessing of Almighty God on her life, unquote. Now notice what she's called. She is called a vine. God describes a godly wife and mother as a fruitful vine within your house. 
A vine is a metaphor of tremendous significance, ladies. If you lived in Bible times, it would be far more significant to you then than perhaps it is to you now in this culture. But grapevines played a very important part in the life of the people of God. And as a result, those vines symbolized life's luxuriousness, value, prosperity, refreshment, cheer. Vines were things that were highly desirable. In fact, Jesus calls himself the true vine. Because the vine in his day symbolized life and refreshment. He is our vine and we are the branches because we are utterly dependent upon him as the source of our life. And he said without him we could do nothing. Without the life flowing fruit producing sap that flows from the trunk of Christ into the branches, us, we cannot live productive lives for him. He is the true vine. So what a compliment this pays, wives and mothers. It's not husbands and fathers that are called vines. It's wives and mothers to whom Jesus gives his own name. And he says to wives and mothers, you are a vine in your marriage like I'm a vine with reference to my people. In other words, the role and the calling of the wife and the mother is more like the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ than any calling any man could ever have. The calling of wife and mother is more like the ministry of Christ than the calling to the ministry. A godly wife and mother in some ways is to her husband and family what Christ is to this church. The source of joy, cheer, life, refreshment. Her ministry to her husband and to her family is to be a reflection of Christ's ministry to his church. Therefore, her husband and her children should highly appreciate her and be grateful for such a desirable and undeserved person in their lives. So I ask you husbands and you children, do you show that to your mother and your wife? Do you recognize that Jesus gave your wife and mother his own name? She is to be a highly desired vine to you, as Christ is a vine to his own church, a source of delight, of joy, productivity, life, strength, and love. So I ask you, husbands, do you treat your wives day in and day out as if she is someone who is highly desirable to you because of the Christ-like ministry that she has in your life? Have you ever thanked her for that? Now, hopefully you've thanked her for the meals that she has fixed for you, and I hope you've thanked her for the last time she was intimate with you. But you have you thanked her for being a Christ-like minister to you? And you children, do you take advantage of what she does for you? Do you take advantage of the fact that like Jesus, she passed through death to give you life? And now she continues to care for you? Just as Christ cares for us in all of our helplessness, she has cared for you and is caring. And now, in spite of the fact that you don't thank her many times and maybe even at times are deviant toward her or sarcastic in your answers to her, she still cares for you. Men, do you ever show her appreciation for being a highly valuable vine? 
We don't deserve our wives, husbands. And children, you don't deserve your loving mother. Live before her like you don't deserve her. And praise her because she is so important in your life. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in Him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, post mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date, and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.